Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us this beautiful morning. Don't you just love the presence of God and worship? We are entering into a really quick two-week uh, sermon series. Um, you hear me talk about it often as far as uh, how valuable and important that it is. Talk, I hear, hear me talk about community and doing life together and how valuable and important that is. And um, so for the next couple of weeks, I'm actually going to preach it because I really feel like the Lord has impressed it upon my heart to really to preach the, the gospel as it relates to doing life together. So we're going to talk about community today and what that looks like. And like I said, there's a two-part series that we're going to begin today. And um, one of the things I've come to realize about life in general is very simply, you will never change your life until you've changed something that you do on a daily basis. That's just life. Take the gospel, scripture, and God out of the equation for just a moment. Even in regular, just life, nothing changes unless you change something you do on a daily basis. And that's kind of the idea of community and doing life together. It's something that you have to embrace and adopt as a regular part of who you are. Oftentimes, you know, when we are in trouble, we'll reach out to a friend or we'll, reach, we'll say, hey, can you pray for me for this? But regular, everyday life, we tend to not engage so much in those types of relationships. Unless, of course, you're like me and you're an extroverted extrovert, outgoing, and love being in relationship with people. But even still in that capacity, my, I don't have as many really, really close friends as I would probably like. And that's, a, that's just an intentional thing that we do. But today I want to talk to you about really the importance of that intentionality. And so we have this idea in our world today where it says, I don't want to rely on anyone else. I want to do this on my own. You know, whether it is a sickness, you don't want anybody to care for you, or you're an injury, nobody needs to help me up the stairs, I'm fine, I got this. We want to be completely and totally independent. We don't want to rely on anybody for help. We don't want to rely on anybody for financial support. We don't want to rely on anyone else because there's this idea of independence that means if I'm independent, then that's going to be ultimately what leads me to being the happiest that I can be. And the reality is happiness does not come from independence. It doesn't. Joy in life does not come from independence. I think about it like this. If I was completely independent and did not have a 17-year-old daughter just graduated high school, I would have missed out on a whole lot of joyous moments. Sure, I would have missed out on some painful moments along the way, but I would have missed out on so much more joy than pain. And that means I'm independent. I don't, need, I don't need my family to provide joy. I don't need God to provide joy. I don't need church to provide joy. And so we have this mentality that if I'm independent, then I am going to be happiest. I mean, so I've actually heard somebody say, I'm happiest when I'm alone. And the reality is that's just not how we were wired by God. Matter of fact, I don't even believe that you can be happy or have joy when you're completely isolated. You know, we put all these barriers up and we put these masks on and we do this to keep everybody at an arm's distance because if they get close, then one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to hurt me which I don't want to be hurt. I don't like to feel pain and, 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 and be stabbed in the back and be 
in pain that way, or they're going to realize just how flawed I am and not like me or not want to be in a relationship with me. And the reality is that both of those thought processes cause more damage to life than they do good. I am always, oft, not always, I'm oftentimes fearful of being very transparent because people start to realize how flawed I really am, and then they begin to cast judgments on my flawness, my flaws. And it happens all the time, especially as a pastor, it happens all the time. And so, but it's a part of the process of getting to where joy resides. Because here's the reality. If you can't be real with someone and they see your flaws and then they not want to be in a relationship with you, can I help you out real quick? That's not someone you really want to be in a relationship with anyway. That's just the way I see it. And so happiness does not come from independence. It also does not come from codependence. You know, we have this idea, I, I, I want to do it all by myself. I'm independent. We have this other idea that I'm codependent, which literally means it's a relationship in which a person is controlled or manipulated by another person. That's what codependence means. It means I can't exist without you doing what you do to help me to exist. That's what codependence actually is. And, and that's, that's not happiness or joy in that either. Manipulation does not create relationship and community. I have come to realize there's only really one place as God has created us, that we can find true joy and happiness, and that's in what I'll call an interdependence, or to take away the fancy word, community. Doing life together, depending on one another. Not as it relates to my identity or who I am, but that I know that I need people in my life to live the life that God has called me to live. I know that I need my wife in my life to cause to help me to live the life that God called me to live. However, I cannot be dependent upon her to live my life, but I know I need her. If that makes sense, the difference between the two, hopefully that makes some kind of sense. It's probably clear as mud at this point, but hopefully by the time we're finished, it'll be a little clearer. But according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, this, this is what even interdependence and community actually means. It even denotes creating a mental, emotional, emotional, and spiritual connection that leads to health. That's what the idea of depending on one another. It's creating a mental and emotional and even a spiritual connection that leads ultimately to being health. So the bottom line is this. We need each other. Need each other. It's not like, oh, that would be nice if I had that. No, we actually need this, uh, each other. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. We're going to do a few things today that we don't normally do here, just to kind of switch things up, throw you guys for a loop a little bit. But if you'll put Romans chapter 12, verse number 5 up on the screen for me. Together, this is one of the things we don't do. It's important. But together, let's read this passage of Scripture. Ready? Start one, two, three. So it is with Christ's body we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Scripture tells us we belong to each other. Not necessarily just that we need each other, but that we actually belong to each other. Now, belonging to each other doesn't mean I get to boss you around and tell you what to do. Not unless, of course, you work for me or you're my child, then I can. But it means that we look out for each other. I think of your needs and what you need from, from life and from God ahead of my own and what I need in my life from God. 
These are important things and important tasks, uh, thoughts to grasp because if we don't, then we will stay isolated, we'll not embrace community together, and ultimately it will lead to us not having what we need. So here's another thing that we don't do here very often, but we're going to do today. I want you to look to the person on your right, and if that means you cross the aisle to look at them, do so. Say, you need me. Look to the person on your left and say, you need me. Now, if you're looking at the wall and you happen to be sitting near your husband or your wife, it's probably like the same thing anyway. It's true. See? There she is. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, my wife. But we need one another. You need me and I need you. That, that, that may be, for some couples that had just said that to each other, might be the most intimate moment that they've shared in months. Because the reality is, it, there's so much beauty and intimacy in understanding the idea that we need one another. So the big idea today is that we need each other and that we are so much better together than we are on our own. So getting into this idea and this thought on community means we have to look at some different things like relationships and why they go bad. It's a very important part of this process of community. And so the idea is turning bad experiences of, in relationships into very good ones in order to make relationship work. How many have ever been in a relationship that's a little bit stressful? How many are currently in a relationship that's a little bit stressful? You don't have your eyes, your hands up. Sometimes I am the relationship that's stressful. And that's okay. I'm cool with that. I rub people the wrong way, step on toes. It's the glory of my job and my life, and I love it. Reality is, if all I did was, like, pet you like a cat or a dog and tell you, oh, it's so wonderful, you just crapped on the floor, but it's going to be okay, that then I would not be helping you out. If you crapped on the floor, I got to tell you, you crapped on the floor. Fix it. And if I don't, then I'm not doing my job. And here's the reality, though. That's just not my job. That's our jobs with one another, to let each other know, hey, you're stepping a little bit outside of where you should be. Let's kind of bring it back in a little bit. So in this process, we need to look at relationships. And here are, these are all people we need in our lives. And I need people for five reasons. I'm going to give you five reasons you need people today that are absolutely biblical, that if you ignore them or deny them, then it could very well lead you close to separation, not just from God's people, from God's house, but from also God himself. So number one, and in your notes, I need people who will walk with me. I need people who will walk with with me. This is the first thing that Jesus did. Notice he didn't preach a message. He didn't, he didn't come and preach against sin. He didn't do any of those things. He came and said, I need you, and I need you, and I need you, and I need all of you. We need to walk together right now. Let's go. His first thing he did was he said, I need people who will walk with me. He called the 12 disciples, and he even made it such a big deal to them that one of them was like, well, you know what? Let me bury my father, and then I'll come. And Jesus' response is really harsh in this moment, it seems. He says, you know what? Let the dead bury the dead. You just follow me right now. 
Most of us, if I were to say that to you, <laughs> you might crucify me the same way he was crucified. Like, wait a minute, you're telling me? No. So that's how important it is to have people walking with us. That's when I use that phrase, doing life together, is people walking with you. God never intended for you to walk alone. As a matter of fact, from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, and the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right, just right for him. Yes, he was talking about the creation of woman, but he was talking about the creation of relationship and doing life together. It's greater than just husband and wives, boyfriend and girlfriends, male and female. This is, this is the creation of intimacy and life together. It's not just about marriage, because I know a lot of married people who are lonely. I'm talking about community. I'm talking about doing life together. So why would God want you to walk together in life? I, I, I'm going to give you three quick reasons. Number one, I believe it's safer. The devil wants you alone. There's safety in numbers. Why do we have, why, I mean, to think about it. When you have your children and they were young and they were outside, what would we tell them? Don't be alone. Don't be alone. Whenever I was a youth pastor and we were out at an event, two of you be together all the time. No, guys and girls cannot be together alone. And if there's a guy and a girl, there has to be a third one. We keep people safe, right? But be together because there's safety in numbers. And so that's the, that's the idea. So it's safer. The devil wants you alone. Be, you're a lot safer in numbers. It's also supportive. It keeps you from quitting too soon. How many of you have ever felt like quitting at something at some point in time? Even just life. Just I'm done with doing life right now. Right? But if you were to quit, you would never be able to see all the greatness and the glory that God has for your life. Because you said, eh, I quit. I've quit several things in life that I'm ashamed that I quit and sad that I quit. There's an old Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. A matter of fact, I mean, there's a whole marathon. See, if life was a sprint, then running by yourself would be the most beneficial thing that there is. No one to slow you down, nobody to distract you, nobody to keep, no, just run. Point A, point B, running 100 meters, run. Fast. But in life, it's a marathon. You're running 26.2 miles. How many know that when you run 26.2 miles, you don't want to run 26.2 miles alone? That's exhausting. It's boring get a cramp. There's no one there to help you. I mean, how many of you have seen the videos all over social media on a regular basis of people running and a cramp just consuming their body and down they go and they hit the ground and somebody else invariably is there in the middle of a race to pick them up and help them across the finish line. I even seen one where a guy blew out his entire knee, gone, shot, couldn't even walk and he helped them limp around the track to finish. That's what life is supposed to be like, doing it together. God created two groups so you wouldn't have to be alone. A physical family, which I, I, I'm so blessed and thankful to have my physical family here because they all live a thousand miles away. And so I don't have them here on a regular basis, but then God created this other thing called your church family. And let me tell you, in some of my 
most difficult times in my life, my church family had been there to help me, to help me walk through something, to help me figure something out, to help put me on the right track when I've strayed a little bit or back to our initial thought when I crapped on the carpet. Had somebody there to help me out, walk me through that process, not just pat me on the head and say, oh, it's going to be okay. I, I've, been, I've sat in the office with a pastor who's like, dude, get your life together. What are you doing? Maybe not in so many words, but that's kind of the gist of it all. You know, this, this physical family is limited in time and in space. They're only with you for a season. I mean, a uh, perfect example, my daughter is, uh, is fortunately and unfortunately wired just like me, very similarly. She will leave home, and she won't come back. She'll come back to visit on holidays, and, and while she's in college, she'll come back to probably do her laundry every so often and get money and those things because she needs those things. But she's going to graduate college, and she's going to be gone. FaceTime, holidays, major holidays, graduations for her brothers and sisters, those kinds of things. But she's going to be flying, fl- flying high and flying far because that's the way she, that's the person that she is. And so my prayer for her isn't that she stays here with me because I only have her for a season. My prayer is she's connected to a body when she's in need that they're going to be there for her. And so that's the idea of life. Your spiritual family doesn't have those limits. They last forever. God wants you to be a part of one because that, that, that spiritual family continues to surround you all the days of your life until your time expires on earth. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says like this, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's telling us you have to do life together. You neglect it because you're tired or you neglect it because of all these things. And it's not just doing life with people. It's doing life with the right people, with spiritual people. Because I have people I have a base, I have, we, we're part of the whole travel baseball system and program, and that's a community of itself. And I, and I relish in all those moments, and there's some of the most enjoyable moments that I've had as a, as a parent and as a coach. And then I've had the volleyball thing with my daughter, and, and so we have, we have these communities, but let me tell you, none of them feed my soul the way this one does. None of them feed my life the way this one does. None of them put me on the right track the way this one does. As a matter of fact, most of them will help me to get off the wrong track. They'll say, you know what? I know this is kind of your life, but this would probably be so much easier. And because they're the largest influence in my life and in my, in my, in my thoughts, then that's the direction I'm going. Where actually I, and probably like several of you, need someone to say, wake up. You're on the wrong path. Let's go. Get back here. And so that's what, that's, what the, that's what that process is and not neglecting meeting together. So as you know, I like to, to pr- make every message practical. So what I'm going to do is with each one of these points, I'm going to bring a practicality to each one of them. So community is God's answer to loneliness. Community is God's answer to loneliness. So the practical part of walking with me means I won't be lonely. It's his answer to loneliness. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, and then 30 through 31 in the message version says, when you gather, each one of you be prepared with something useful for all. So when we gather, we should, we should be prepared to have something useful for all. In the context of church, we're here, and I, I'm here, and I'm hopefully have something useful for you. Devin and Becky, our worship leaders, hopefully had something useful for you in worship. 
When you walk out of this building and you, and you start to have conversation with each other on the way out, hopefully someone has something useful for you because that's how we should come prepared into every atmosphere, every environment we walk into to have something useful for you. Whether it's singing a hymn or teaching a lesson or telling a story or leading a prayer, providing an insight, take your turn with no one person taking over. That way you all learn from each other. That's the, that's the actual model for our exchange groups. We're on a break right now for the summer, but when we kick them off, that's the model for it, to, to everybody take their turn and share a story, share a, a hymn, share a thought, share an idea, share an insight. No one person takes over. One person facilitates, but no one person takes over. It's an exchange of ideas. That's why I love those groups. If you're not a part of one, something's wrong with you, get a part of one. Number two, I need people who will work with me. So I need people who will walk with me, but I also need people who will work with me. God has a plan for you. There are things for you to actually physically do. Not just stand and say, oh, here I am. This is, this is how we do. This is what we do with God. Here I am, God, use me. And we sing songs like this, and we say words like this, and we speak like this. And then somebody says, hey, can you do, oh, no, I really can't. i got to get my nails done that day. Oh, no, I really can't do that. My kid has a baseball game, and... I love my son. I love watching him play baseball and basketball, but I've not been at every baseball and basketball game that he has because there's also some things that God has me to do. You know, I try to make it to everything I possibly can, and I, th I definitely make more than I don't, no doubt, but there's sometimes it's okay to miss your kid's baseball game. It's not okay to miss them all, but it's okay to miss one here and there, especially when it's doing kingdom work. And my kids understand that because they know that I'm there. But I need people who will work with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do the good things he planned for you. There's work involved. And if you're a teenager in this place, sometimes that's like, oh, that's too much effort. I really don't want to do any work. I'm tired. You just woke up three hours ago. I know I need a nap. I woke up at eight and I need a nap. Life of a teenager. I wish I was one again. Sometimes. Do it differently. That's for sure. The Bible even says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. There is a work that God has for you that he expects from you and doing it together is how you actually get there. That's why the first thing that when I was trained and taught to, to start to plant the church, the first thing they said was build a team. Get into a relationship with people and build a team. So that's what my wife and I did. We didn't know anybody in this city, so we said, let's, let's meet some people and build a team. Because that success comes from doing that. We talked about that last week, being a part of a team, and we showed the picture of the 1992 Dream Team. They built a team. And with that team, you're unstoppable. And because of this team, Here's the, here's the cool thing. This is what I love about the way our serving in this church is designed. Because of this team, no one person gets exhausted because we do it together. That's the, that's the goal. That's the point. So the practical part of that is community is God's answer to fatigue. You don't grow weary, you don't grow weary doing these things for God because you're doing them together. Now, there are times when I'm like, oh, man, I am tired. 
I had one of those moments myself this week, if I can be honest and be transparent with y'all. This morning, I really didn't want to come here. I was tired. I've been preparing my house all week long because my daughter's graduating high school. We got family in town. I got friends coming over. I got, she's got tons of friends coming over, and it's like I want the house to look nice for them. So I've been working my tail off all week. If finally the work finally ended well, for, the day, for the week until today at about 3 o'clock this morning, and I went to bed, and I wrote, my alarm went off, and I, no, uh-uh, not today. When having it. My wife was right there. Come on. Come on. All gently. And of course, I don't move to gentle. So light comes blazing on. I'm like, I can't see. Okay, I'm up. I'm up. Then I hear my son going through the same thing in the other room. I'm just stretching. Oh. Right? But what do we do? We have somebody around us to help us get up. Because we get a little bit tired in life sometimes. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the message version says it like this. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. That's doing good for them. Being together with them, helping them walk through life keeps them from being fatigued. So I need people to walk with me. I need people to work with me. And number three, I need people who will fight for me. Man, I tell you what, we need people in our lives that will fight for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Fight for one another. That's what we do. I will fight you for some folks, in this, for most of y'all. If somebody comes up to me and says, I will fight you. Maybe not physically, but I'm going to stand up and defend that person, help that person, because that's what we're supposed to do together. I mean, stuff like when you go on vacation, watch my house, get my mail, take care of my pets. How much more important is it than ask somebody to help you watch over your soul? I mean, we ask people to watch our house. We ask them to watch our pets. We ask them to watch our mail. We ask them to watch all our, just keep an eye on the door so no one robs my house or whatever when they know I'm gone. How much more important is it to watch our soul? Hey, keep an eye on my soul so the devil doesn't try to steal it again. Just a thought. Nothing like, I mean, we organize neighborhood watches to watch out for our property. Of which when we die, it's all gone anyway. But we organize neighborhood watches. We have meetings all the time about taking care of property and, and, and keeping an eye out for this. I mean, my, there's a whole app called Nextdoor. I dread even getting it. Because everybody's posting, this idiot driver on this street. And did anybody see my dog? And where can I find someone to clean my deck? And uh, they just, and they, but it's meant for community. To lift each other up and help each other out. And so they, they do this so they can keep an eye. And we establish technology, apps, organizations for our property. But what about our soul? No, I can handle that part alone. No, don't come telling me what I need to do with my life. You ain't got yours together. I don't have to have mine perfectly together to help you with yours. We got to get past that idea. We think, oh, well, I'm fractured and I'm broken. I can't help nobody. That's not true. That is not true at all. Matter of fact, together you can get through that fractured and brokenness. And if you're not fractured and broken, you're just a liar. Because we all are in some capacity. Every day devise a plan to do life together. Intentionally. Every day. Not with just people who enable you. But people who will challenge you. It's not comfortable, I know. But it's worth it. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, even scripture illustrates this David and Jonathan, his armor bearer, that relationship. And then you have Jonathan and the no-name that climbed up a mountain together. But two of them destroyed an army. You don't have to have a million people, but more than one is biblical. So the practical part of this idea of someone who will fight with me is very simply, God's community is God's answer to defeat. You will always be victorious in life together. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 10 says, If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Ecclesiastes is a good book. If you haven't read through it, read it. Yeah, it's in the Old Testament. It's this obscure location. It's like, what is Ecclesiastes? There's so much power in that book. So much incredible wisdom as far as relationship is concerned. So I need people. And people need me. I do. I need people who will walk with me, who will work with me, who will fight with me, fight for me, and sometimes with me. And I need people who will cry with me. Yeah, some, man, seriously, if you're a man in this place, get over yourself and your manhood. It's okay to cry. It really is. I mean, and this is coming from me, who I've prided myself for a long time. I'm a man. I don't cry. And, but I tell you what. I don't care about crying over my child graduating. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about crying out to God over emotions. Yes, I cry for that. I'm a wimp when it comes to that stuff. Cried at a volleyball. I cried there. I'm August 14th. I'm going to cry for seven and a half hours. I'm cool with that. But I'm talking about just, I'm going through pain. I need you. God, I need you. Crying out to him and someone that will do that with me. In, in, a, in the inevitable crisis of life. Anybody ever go through a crisis in life? It's inevitable. It's not like, oh, well, hopefully I avoid crisis. You won't. It's impossible. At some point in time, someone you're close to and you love is going to pass away. At some point in time, and I'm not trying to be negative and speak death into anything, you know, but somebody is going to die. It's a part of life. Somebody is going to get significantly and seriously injured. Someone is going to fall flat on their face in moral failure. These things are going to happen. Crisis is going to happen in your life. Having a group of people that can walk with you, cry with you, fight with you, and work with you through it, guess what? You never get over it because that's, that's not, I don't believe that's even possible, but you get through it. We get through it together. As a matter of fact, where's Miss Lori at? Come on up here, Miss Lori. Mm. I'm use the yellow mic, Dave. So I asked Miss Lori, kind of on the spot like I do with things, no preparation, to talk about two things. The first, doing life with other people, especially in the context of the body, this body of Christ. And number two, the difference that's made in your life. Um, the one thing I was thinking of when he was just talking this morning, and it kind of came to me, is that the people that we meet in our life are like kind of in our own circle. They're not like different than us, where the church, I think, brings the diversity that we need. I would have never met Becky on my own. We live in different circles. How old are you, Becky? Okay, she's 32. I'm 42. 
Angela, I would have never met Angela on my own. We live in different circles. But these women and the women of this church bring you up and give you different perspectives that you don't have in your day-to-day life. So that was one of the things. My first experience was actually Becky leading an exchange group. So, I mean, get involved with your church. This is where you do your life one-on-one with each other. That was one thing that made me come back to this church. And also the worship. Can we just say the worship this morning was amazing? I mean, amazing. The second song, I was standing there thinking, this is what heaven is going to be like. Like, really, we are going to be worshiping in all different tongues, all different diversities, worshiping God together. That's what brings us back and brings me back to this church. So thank you all. Wow, she's going to preach there. Come on. You can, I'll just sit on down. We're going to do that again next week. We're going to highlight a few different people and ask a few different questions. The point of that is very simply that it's, it's e- everybody looks at me and says, oh, you're the pastor. It's easy for you. It's, it's actually very hard. It's probably harder for me than it is for most. But it's, this, is, this is regular people who are part of this body that God is impacting and using you to do it. That's, that's the important part of this. There's so many situations that you should never go through alone. Sitting in a hospital, waiting through a surgery. You should never go through that alone. Waiting for test results that things don't look so well. You shouldn't go through that alone. No one should stand alone at an open grave. I mean, the first night after a loved one dies, you shouldn't, no one should be alone. I mean, these are moments we think we want to be alone. But the reality is, that's not going to be beneficial for you. There's far more benefit together than there is alone. Or when a spouse walks out of your life, those are not moments to be alone. You don't need a lot of people, but you just need a few. That's why we, that's why we embrace the idea of small group type ministry, because Sunday morning is is wonderful. Worship is powerful. The preaching hopefully is practical and powerful at the same time. And we get what we need to fuel up for the week and, and go and win the world for Jesus. And, but along the roads, things happen. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, things happen. And having that, that group of people, even in a break like we are in our, in our small group ministry, just having a cup of coffee with them or having lunch or dinner with them or inviting few, three or four people over to your house and have dinner together and, and just talk. Or, and, and things like we have coming up as a, as, as a ladies' night. That's going to be another great opportunity to do life together and be in community together. These are things that you, we, 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 tools that we give you to help you to grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. Number five. Oh, wait, no. Hold on. Getting ahead of myself. For all the note takers in this room. Don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So the pre- she was. I know she was. She was ready to jump. So we need people that will cry with us. And the, and the practical part of that and why community is good for that is because community is God's answer to despair, to pain, to anguish, to fear. Let me tell you, nobody ministers better than a friend. Not even me. I, I, as the pastor, you know, I could come into your hospital room and I could lay hands on you and I could pray for you. And that's wonderful because I'm going to come in and I'm going to speak encouraging words to you. I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to pray for you in your upcoming surgery and procedure or whatever the case is. But then I'm going to leave. Your friends 
are the ones who bring ministry. Your friends are the ones who bring strength. Those are the ones that sit with you and walk with you and cry with you and fight with you and fight for you and work with you, right? Those are the ones. So community is God's answer to that despair. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. That's what we're called to do with one another. I used to be the guy who was happy when you were happy, but when you were weeping, I'd be like, come on, toughen up already. Now, I do think there's a sense of, in, in some parts of that, you, you just got to get tougher sometimes. Mental toughness, emotional toughness, spiritual toughness, those are really important. But the right moment is even better, right? Not every moment of, of weeping should be met with toughen up. You'll be fine. Get over it. I'll, I'll gladly tell someone, hey, you know what? I know. Here's what I know. I know you're going to get through it. I don't necessarily know how or when, but I know you're going to get through it. And I know I'm going to be here to walk with you through it, anything you need. That's oftentimes my counsel. Because there's, sometimes there's nothing more left to say than just that. So encourage one another. According to First Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. Paul saw the church and said, keep doing what you're doing. Keep encouraging and building one another up. Last one is this. I need people who will partner with me. People who will partner with me in life. People that will walk, people that will work, people that will fight, people that will cry, but people that will partner. This one is for all Anyone in the room who ever says, I want to do something bigger than myself. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. I want to make a difference. And this church specifically, together, we are on a mission to make a difference. We build a team. That's what we're doing, and that's what we continue to do. That's what Jesus did. John chapter 15, verse 4 through 5, he even said to them, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. He's telling them, hey, you've got to stay close to Jesus. That's the first and foremost important thing in all of this. Your initial and your first and most important partner is Jesus. He said, remain in me, and and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Then he goes on to say, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now he's not saying apart from me, you can't have success. He's not saying apart from me, you can't have accomplishment. What he's saying in that passage is apart from me, you can't do anything with any kind of eternal significance. Yeah, you can run. I mean, we look at, we got billionaire baseball players and millionaire basketball players who are far from Jesus. We've got businessmen that are far from Jesus. You don't need Jesus to be successful. You, know, you need Jesus to get into heaven. You need Jesus to love one another genuinely and truly because people, oh, why do I, I don't need Jesus to love someone. I would just say because you made that statement, you need Jesus to love someone because that's not even a loving statement. Right? This is the confusion that we get. We need Jesus. We love because he first loved us. In me and of myself, I am not capable of loving you. Just not. But with him, I'm capable of loving you. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 30 says, One person chases a thousand of them, and two people put 10,000 to flight. 
there's some scripture in and around that, that this was actually a moment of rebuke. If you look up on the screen, I had the whole thing. How could one person chase a thousand of them and two people put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? What he's saying in that passage of scripture is one has power, two has greater power, but everything stays connected to the rock. You have no power outside of Jesus, not for anything eternally significant. So the practical part of that that idea of partnership is that community is God's answer to significance. I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to be significant in life. Not that I wanted praise and accolades. I just wanted to be significant. I wanted people at some point in time in my life to look at me and say, you know what, that man, man, that man steered me in the right direction when I needed it. That man was there for me. That man influenced me. That man is, is part of the reason why I'm doing the things that I'm doing the way that I'm. I just, I just not from a pride perspective, just because I want to make a difference. That's what we do in our lives. That's what we do as a church. I mean, a very simple thing that you seemingly has no, doesn't seem to be a big deal. We just took on as a, a simple little project was the free little library at Dr. Maud Sanders Primary School. We adopted the school. They asked us if we'd do it. And we said, yeah. So I went there for a little ribbon cutting in front of a whole bunch of first graders. What kind of significance? I'm standing in a bunch of first graders. I don't even want to be around that many first graders. But there I am. We cut this ribbon, and what is our job? To fill that thing with books and keep it full. How hard is that? But man, you know how many kids this summer are gonna, from that neighborhood are going to hop on their bike, and they're going to ride up to that little free library and grab themselves a book, and that book can make a difference in their life? And all it took was, what, 10 minutes of you to go and drop a book off in a box? Well, it's actually nicer in a box. It's a little house. But that, again, this is something so simple and so trivial, but it makes a difference. And that's part of you making a difference. And don't even get me started. We got a whole other bunch of other ways to do that. We're going to get into that later on. But I'm going to wrap it up with this. If my worship team can come and just play behind me, that would be fantastic. Community is God's answer to significance. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 The Bible says this, above all, so everything that we have preached, everything that we have said, everything that has come out of of my mouth to, uh, to this point, Paul is saying, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whenever I come to see you again or only hear about you, Here's the community part. I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. The expectation on the church in Philippi was that they are going to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, meaning that their walk was going to look like the walk of a righteous person, that their thoughts were going to be the thoughts of a righteous person, that their actions were going to be the actions of a righteous person. Because like I said in worship before, when the Holy Spirit inhabits you, something's got to change. It has to. 
If it has to, and here's the thing I would submit to you, and I struggle from time to time just like any other person, but if you refuse to change when the Holy Spirit is in your heart, in your life, comes upon you, fills the atmosphere, I don't really care where he is, but when he's coming to the, into your presence and into your midst, if you refuse to change, then you're very you're denying the very existence of God. No, maybe not in so many words, but in actions. We've always heard actions speak louder than words. My favorite phrase I saw in a filing cabinet in a seventh grade classroom when I was a youth pastor overseeing and speaking to a bunch of students as in a Bible study, it says, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. And I've, you've heard me say this before, but the, the do as I say, not as I do mentality does not exist. I heard that growing up. I had a daddy who said it, do as I say, not as I do. I hold it a whole lot more what he did than what he said. It's nature. It's what we do. But what we do speaks so loudly. Nobody can hear what we say. I can stand up here and preach all day long, but if I don't do anything, I'm just making noise. Those are Paul's words to the Roman church as well, or to the Corinthian church as well. If you're not loving people and you're not doing the kingdom work, then you're just making noise. So the expectation was that you would live as a citizen of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news, worthy of the gospel. No, you don't have to be perfect. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a willingness to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, willingness to submit to God as not just Father God, but as my Lord and my Savior. He didn't just save me from heaven, but he saved me from hell and lead me to heaven, but he's the Lord of my life. And we get, we, 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 uh, we just mess it up. So much we mess it up. We say, oh, Jesus is my Savior. I mean, we got a world filled with people who on a platform will stand up and say, I want to give thanks to my Savior, Jesus Christ. But then watch them read their lips on the basketball court when they're dropping F-bombs and cussing people out left and right. Where's, so he may be Savior, but he certainly isn't Lord. This is where we mess it up. He's got to be both, not one or the other. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to fail. Man, especially in early on, when you start to walk in that holiness and righteousness and things happen, you stub a toe, you hammer a nail. Here's how I know, here's how I know that, I'm, uh, that Jesus is my Lord in most, of, in most areas of my life. I was doing some work at my house. My lawnmower died and it's dead for good now. But it died and I know one of the things that often happens is the connection to the spark plug sometimes gets loose and if I just pull it off, put it back on, give it a little pop, it starts. Yeah, I know. I need a new. I need a new lawnmower. Y'all want to buy me one? I'll take. I should graciously take one. Until then, I just gotta wait a little bit. Use my neighbors and keep playing with the spark plug. So I reached down and grabbed this spark plug, and I missed the little rubber boot on the end. Grabbed the actual plug. Burnt. I got two blisters on my fingers and my a blister on my finger, and my thumb. Burnt the. Oh man, that's a moment. They'll test is he Lord or not. And I grabbed it, and I, that's how I knew he was Lord, because I didn't drop the F-bomb in that moment. I didn't say, I didn't say anything. I kept it righteous, because I burned my finger. I didn't say anything. Man, God's gotten so much more in my heart today than he ever had before. If I can burn my finger like that, and not cuss, cuss somebody out, or cuss the lawnmower out, because after all, it was the lawnmower's fault. That's how, that's how, and I'm joking and playfully making a point, but the reality is, is he Lord or is, and, and Savior, or is he just your Savior? 
If he's just your savior, then you're just gonna, you, you want enough faith to get to heaven. It's kind of like fire insurance. I'm just getting insurance just in case the day comes and this whole Jesus thing is real. Well, you're playing with fire that way. People who play with fire usually get burned. So make him not just your savior today, but make him your Lord. You need two relationships in life. That's all you need. It's very simple. Two relationships. Matter of fact, there's some notes. There's some blanks on your sheet. I'd like you to write this down if you're a note taker. If you're not a note taker, then that's okay. You'll forget it. It's okay. I'm not a note taker, and if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. But you need two relationships in your life, and that's it. It's very simple. Life is easy. Here we go. Two relationships. Relationship with God. Relationship with people. This has to be first, though. Because if this one is not first, if this one, this vertical relationship with God is not right, the one here horizontally will never be right. Your marriages won't be right. Your friendships, your family, your parent relationship with your parents, siblings, none of those will be right unless this is right first. You get that one right, though? All these seem to have a way to work in themselves out.